crew members, this is the driver of the ship, pursuer of advice, and a good time, and an adventure. This is the captain speaking, and we are ready to sail towards our next conversation. And I'm here joined with my very, very special friend, my guest, Mama Cafecito. How are you doing today? We friends? Yeah, well, not really friends. Well, I mean, we could be friends if we want to be friends. Um, This is my lovely spouse. The lover of my life, the person who I choose to share the rest of my life with. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hi, everyone. They are silently clapping and saying, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. In all seriousness. No, it's about time we had you on the show. I mean, we've done a lot um, in the time that we've had over the last couple of podcasts. And I think your time was definitely much warranted. So... I think we'll just go ahead and dive right into what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to kind of a little bit set the platform as far as getting to know who you are. Miss, uh, can I call you Mama? Mama. Uh, Mama. I'm going to call you Mama. Because <laughs> cafecito doesn't sound that great off the tongue if you're not Spanish. But what? Mama. There we go. So talk to me about 2018, Mama. What are some of your wins and your losses, if you don't mind sharing? I think my win was my loss, though. Um, I I plan plan and over plan um, my entire life. I have a very hard time with letting things go, um, and when things don't go according to plan, I don't take it very well. Um, and twenty eighteen, pretty much, excuse my language, told me to go fuck myself. Um, and I had to grow, and everything that I was fighting to keep afloat ended up falling apart, and I think that that was my greatest blessing. It, when throughout the year did you realize that your greatest loss was going to be your biggest win? When shit started working again, you know? Um, we, as, as a couple, we made the decision for you not to, no longer to work um, and stay home, and that was both scary but at the same time was the best decision that we could have ever made as a couple and as individuals um and for me in the beginning i remember i was like oh shit you know like now i'm i'm financially responsible for our family which uh you we both know wasn't always the case you know you you were the one that held it down for a very long time so when i had to take in those reins for me i was like uh i'm gonna melt the fuck up and then we're just gonna live under a bridge yeah we're gonna fall on your fucking face (laughs) you're gonna fall on all of our faces and i think we did something pretty cool there um kind of flipped the gender role tradition we had a conversation before with sai who's um a lot of you don't know is, is mama's brother little brother but um, we were talking about how, you know, how certain households are being run in regards to who does what, who pays the bills, generally speaking. And I'm pretty sure you're aware of the in most households, the man is the guy who is the breadwinner, brings home the bacon. That's where that term pretty much comes from. And the woman is the one that's home that does a lot of the cooking, the cleaning and so on and so forth. But it, as we've progressed over the years, you know, we've learned that a lot of more traditional, not traditional, but more um forward thinking households kind of don't really have those roles you know and i think just like you were saying before i had my oh shit moment where it was like um i was home with our son our two-year-old son at the time um and i was having my oh shit moment like oh my god like i'm in charge of making sure this kid's gonna survive the day and i don't have like you to contact all the time because you're busy at work and i have a thousand things to do you know and no one to really call upon but in a sense it did pretty much help me stretch my comfort zone per se um i learned how to cook which is great yeah you did (laughs) Um, (laughs) i learned how to clean which was great um and then i learned how to you know balance and do a juggling act of doing the cooking the cleaning and um the maintaining of the household and at the same time making sure that everyone's good and i'm gonna have to give you a shout out because that that shit's not easy. <laughs> hey, that stay shit, at home mama. That shit is <laughs> now you not get me. easy. But, I mean, for the most part, for us at least, we, we both learned a lot from, from doing those trials and tribulations. Um, I learned how to be more self-sufficient, and I know how to pick up on things. So, you know, that role doesn't necessarily lean on you too much. It, I can help out in this, that, and the other. And then, so, so it is the same with the, the flip side as far as um, you being more cognitive as far as the budget. Um, or we're households running and what we're paying for and where our money's going. And, you know, I think if anything, you've grown a lot in that sense. So yeah, tell me, tell me, um, 
a little bit more about that as far as learning how to budget and this, that, and the other. I mean, I think we got to give credit where credit's due. I think we've always been really good at, like, fitting into the box that we need the other person to fit in um, for the time being. So, I mean, um, for a very long time, like, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom and because you we felt that it was best for our son for me to stay home and for you to work. And then, you know, then I decided to go back to school. Then I decided to change careers. Um, so I think we've, we've really, we have to give each other a pat on the back um, when it comes to being able to switch, you know, switch gears and not say, well, I'm a man, I do this, you're a female, you do this, you know, um, because that just doesn't work. That's very old fashioned and, and that's, that's not how we progress together, you know, and that's not how any couple progresses um, or should progress, you know. Um, uh, so pretty much back to, to what we were talking about originally, 2018 was a smack in the face and the best way possible. Um, we decided that you weren't going to work. I decided that I wasn't going to finish grad school for now. I switched it careers um, right in the midst of all the shit happening in our personal life. And that was insane. Oh, my God. What a time. <laughs> yeah. You know, we went from, okay, you work. You work in the city. I work here. I have a little basic job that's going to allow us to pretty much, for me to still take on the mom role while you work. And then all of a sudden, we sat down. I remember that day. And we were like, what are we going to do? Because this is not working. And we need to survive. And I love you and you love me. But we got something's got to give. Um, which was right around the time that I got a letter. Like, hey, you got your dream job. Um what are we going to do about this and how are we going to squeeze in your dream job with no longer going to school and Danny staying home. Um, and you're right. I had to learn how to budget because again, you know, I, I got to say in a sense and for lack of a better term, you spoiled me. Um, uh, you were working, you were paying the rent, you were paying, you paid for school, you paid for home, me being at home. I, the money that I was bringing in was money for me and for Noah. And it was pretty much like, okay, whatever, you know, um, so it got to the point where I was like, okay, no, now we got a budget because now my money matters. So how do I do that? How do I go from buying any shoe that I want and filling my closet and empty shopping, you know? And I, and I say empty shopping because I was shopping to fill a void of being, you know, bored at home. I or, never heard that term. That's actually really interesting. Empty shopping? Yeah. You know, because there's this gratification that we get when we fill a cart, you know, particularly women. And, and I say that because I've I had conversations with a lot of my friends. Oh, I'm stressed out. Okay, well, then let's go shopping. You know, there's that instant gratification of seeing these new shoes and seeing these new um, uh, purses and things and buying it. And then you're happy in the moment. You know, when you're checking out, you're like, oh, look, I got a new bag. And you're so excited about that bag. But then the next day, then what? You know what I mean? It didn't change the why your reasoning for buying it. It was like a, um, a small instant shot of dopamine to your brain. Yeah. Buy something, you're happy, it's great, and then it gets shoved into the closet. It's it's empty shopping. It really is. And, I, and it's so funny. It's such an oxymoron, but it but it speaks volumes. And I noticed that I was doing that often. You know, I my biggest complaint at the time when you were working, um, as much as you were, was we never got to spend time with you. We It was just, you know, the baby and I. The baby and I would do things. We would always, you know all the events, I would be sending you pictures like, look, you're missing out, you know, and I would go to the mall every single weekend, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. I have a, my closest friend and I, we would meet at the mall, we'd go to Starbucks, we'd walk around the mall. It got to the point where our poor child would ask me to go to the mall or go to Target because it became such a routine. Um, and I was filling our closet of things for no reason. You know, to fill the void of, damn, I miss my husband. Damn, you know, I wish he didn't have to work that much. Damn, what can I do to, uh, you know, fill that void of, of him, of saying, yo, I miss him. Because I can't tell him not to work because we can't sustain our lifestyle if he's not working. Or so we thought. Um, so <laughs> we thought. And then, you know, 2018, like, like you know, I, I believe in manifestation and speaking into existence. Um, I think I manifested all the shit that we went through. <laughs> Uh, for the best and the worst, um, but I think we—I think it was well warranted. I—I I I definitely feel like I manifested lessons. You know, I wanted us. I—I I felt like I wasn't being my best possible self um, at the time. I think you were not being your best possible self, and n neither of us wanted to kind of give up that life that we were living uh, because we felt like you know it. it 
it gave us purpose. You know what I mean? You being good at work was validation for you. Me being good at whatever it is I chose to do that day, that gave me validation. And that lifestyle and that ability to spend and, and live the life and do the things that we wanted to do was, was self-validating. But it took away from all the things that we were really seeking, which was family time, which was self-care, which was being with one another which was learning and growing and we weren't doing that because we were busy grinding and i think that we confuse especially now in the 21st century we're taught that grinding grinding and growing are not the same thing or like you can you gotta basically choose one and it, it doesn't work that way it doesn't at all and i think that um you hit a uh, the head the the nail on the head on that one when we were talking about grinding versus growing I think, you know, we, we catch ourselves in, in situations when we're working so, so much and our, 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 our energies are, I would say, the universe is telling us that, you know, you're ready to move into the next role and we may be thinking or maybe too complacent into making that decision. Um, thus, you know, you having to go to the mall all the time and me being working all the time. Those are who we were years ago, you know, when we were first entering the workplace and when we were first young and, you know, had nothing to lose. And, um, yeah, no, as we grow older, we, we tend to not realize that, in, you know, our, our priorities are going to have to change because who we are, we're changing ourselves. You know, I may understand the importance of money. Um, when I'm young because I didn't have a lot of it so yeah it was easy for me to grind out and work for a paycheck but then I started realizing that money isn't really what makes me happy what makes me happy is you know spending time with the person that I love spending time with my family you know these things start becoming more valuable to me and and it also teaches me that you know what you value adapts to who you are at the time that you're living in so yes I mean I may be in the later half of my 20s but it's it's my mindset's completely different and i was fighting with not believing that and fighting to live that dream that eventually you know everything kind of kind of had to self-destruct and i had to completely start with a new clean slate we both did so and we saw what we got out of it um a lot more benefits than anything else and we we challenged a lot of our fears and i mean i'm pretty happy as far as where we are right now and what else we're going to be tackling how about yourself yeah, like I said, I mean, 2018, I can't even say it sucked, but it was definitely a, a lesson learner for me. You know, it was, a, I learned, I literally grew, like, you know, we we use that term loosely, like I, like I mentioned, you know, now it's all about, you know, 21st century, opening that third eye, bringing awareness and growing, but no one really knows what the hell that means. Mm -mm. Like, but I can honestly tell you that I grew. I went from saying, you know, I think um, my brother mentioned it in your previous uh, pod podcast, how we grew up, where, like, my dad paid for everything. My mom was, like, you know, she was present in our life. She she worked, but if she, any moment, she could just stop working, and it was just all about the kids. Um, and I grew up with that mindset. I grew up where I felt like I needed to be taken care of instead of taking care of someone. Ooh, I like um, that. Look at your wordplay. Stepping your game up, huh? <laughs> um, you know, I, I did spend a lot of money in college to be an English major. I think that a came into play. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that debt for English major, I think it worked. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, this year taught me that, you know, it, it's, it's okay to play both roles, you know, especially if the person's worth it, you know. And that's why making that decision to be like, yo, don't work. Let's figure it out. Give each other time. You know, you do work. Focus on school. Focus on what you need to focus on. I got this. For me, was um was an eye-opener, and it made me feel really happy because it felt like, I was giving back what you had given me for all these years. And even more than that, it, it taught me that I'm capable of doing things on my own. You know, because uh, I don't consider myself a feminist, but I feel like that's a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, We'd have a lot of <laughs> on that one. But I, I do consider myself a strong woman. And, and, and though I boast about it as being a strong woman and being able to hold down a household and having a kid at, at, at the age that I, that I am, um, I finally felt like I was truly being a strong woman because a strong woman in my definition is knowing when you can take a different role in order to hold your family down. You know, now I don't have to cook and clean um, to be, you know, the woman of the house. I, I can cook clean and cut a check, you know, and, and I think that that to me was, was big, um, learning that about myself. So I think that coming into this year, um, 
I feel like I, I got this, you know, I, that's the mentality that I got. Yeah, you're you ready. Know? You're ready. You're, you're well-seasoned veteran. Um, you're not afraid to, to, to make sacrifices and you're not, you know, quote unquote, shitting the bed when if something were to happen, God forbid, if I do need to make a career change again or I need to, to take backseat, it's not that difficult because we know what we need to do yeah. and then we're ready, repaired. And I like to say that last year was the year of the growth and I would also say it's the turning of the page and the page that needed to be turned a while ago. Yeah, you know? and I think for me, 2018 was literally grow through what you go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, yeah, we literally grew through what we went through. You know, I feel like we're solid. You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of the, the transitions that Danny and I made, um, one, because the universe said so, and two, because we chose to make decisions, was around April of 2018, which was around my birthday and your birthday. So it was literally our, uh, for those believers of the universe, uh, was our regrowth, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, even then, um, you know, Honestly speaking, and I, and I live off of our, um, being honest, we, we, we questioned our relationship at one point. You know, it's like, yeah, do I want to be with this guy? Because it's just too much. This is a lot going on. Like, no. is it, you know, we got a baby, but we could co-parent, you know. Um, yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's what we went through, pretend, in August. You know, I really sat down and I said, no, this is, this is eight years, the eighth month. Let's make, let's make it work. You know, let, let's make it legal. Let's bind each other legally now. Mm. Um, even though we've been married spiritually. And I think that that was another decision that we made that was grow through what you go through. You know, that was that was another one for me. So, again, 2019 is pretty much I got this. What do, we, what, what do you have for me, universe? I'm, I'm open to all positivity. I'm open to allowing you to open and close doors for me. How are we going to move and grow as a family and as individuals, you know? Yeah, definitely. And speaking of moving into the new year and, I want to I want to I want to talk about a little bit about, you know, our connections and or I would call it quote unquote friendships. Man, listen. Yeah, we're going <laughs> um, to talk about a couple of things and not get too lesson. deep. But um, yeah, I feel like the friendships and connections. I, I said this on my last podcast as well, that I wasn't the, the biggest expert in connections that I would want to be um, this year moving forward. But. Um, as far as your, you know, friendships in general, what do you define as a friendship? If you were someone were to give you or ask you a quote unquote, what is a friend? A friend is someone who's able to meet you where you're at. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a social worker. Um, mental health is my, my, my career path. And, 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 you know, that's a, that's a huge one. That's where you're, you're always taught from day one in school, meet somebody where you're at. And I, you know, that's pretty much my, my work slogan. And I never really understood what that meant until I needed somebody to meet me where I was at. Um, and what I mean by that is somebody that's able to, to roll their sleeves up and go through the mud with you. Not somebody who's like, oh, it sucks to be down there. Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to help you out? You know, empathy versus sympathy. Yeah. You know, and, and um, I love Brene Brown and she and she talks about, you know, being in the arena and 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 having to you know, you not being a jackass whisperer, you know, you can't please everyone. A jackass um, whisperer? What's yeah. that? T- technically, you know, people that are your critics. Everybody has something to say. Everybody's like, you should have done, should have, could have, would have. You know, those mm-hmm. people. Those mm-hmm. should have, could have, would have people. Yeah. Oh, why didn't you do it like this? Well, no. It's not why I should have. I made the decision that I made. Are you going to rock with me or not? Period. Um. Period. You know what I mean? This is what it is. Uh, this is who I am. You like it or not. If you don't like it, then you're not my friend. Then we can't be there. And then I also learned that um, one friend does not have to fit, check off every box in your life. Mm-hmm. I can have a brunch friend. I can have a friend that I talk to once in a blue, but it, I know is a consistent friend, somebody that's always going to answer the phone when I when I call. Um, you can have a friend who's literally your ride or die. And it just takes one person. It takes one person to just be there for you when you call them. Like, listen. I did X, Y, and Z. Can you, you know, and they ask you what you need before you even tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's friends that are there for you when you're, you know, your party friends. And, and I think that um, for me, it took a lot of growing and heartbreak to get to that point where I was able to realize that not one person can fit all of your boxes. They can't check off every box. And if you do find that one friend, you're very lucky and you, you can appreciate them. And I think that, um, for us, this year, we, we learned what friends get checked off in what box. Yeah, no, um, of course. I think 
um growing up a lot of the times we're conditioned to understand that friends are you know the person who you like to be around the most even growing up as a kid through grammar school and high school it's like your friends are your people who you keep around and keep them tight regardless of what's happening but as you become an adult you start to mature and you start to understand what the value of a friend is and and i think it's great that you talked about having them fit into specific boxes i think i've lost a couple friendships myself by stretching the um the box a little bit too thin mm-hmm. and i'm um, trying to throw too many cat- uh, criteria into one box so um i, I like how you kind of categorized and talked about that and I think moving forward, being more conscious about that is something that would help me maintain and uh, establish new connections that are important. Um, do you think there is so such thing as a best friend and the concept of that, one that's superior over the others? Even if, let's say, for example, um, how do you judge what a best friend would be? Would it be the one that can hit multiple points or is it the one that can you know, have heart-to-hearts with you? I think the best friend concept uh, came when we were when we were small, mm-hmm. uh, when we were young, and in the, in the playyard, it was this person who made you laugh, the person that you enjoyed the most. That was the person that you considered your best friend because they took the best out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as an adult, I have changed what the definition of best friend means to me because sometimes, let me tell you, my best friend is not the person that tells me what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, but she's yep. the person that brings out the best in me. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough in my life to have persons like that. I have more than one person that I consider my best person because they take out the best in me. Mm-hmm. Um, they draw it out of you. Yeah. So I, I think that, that that's my definition of having a best friend. And I think I have more than one, as I said. Those people that sometimes I, I talk to them and I'm like, well, this happened to me. And they're like, no, you're acting up. You're out of character. You're out of pocket. <laughs> out cut of it pocket. out. <laughs> cut it out. Grow up. You're being immature. And they're, you know, my, the people that are considered my best friends are people that have I have hung up the phone on and not talked to for like three days because they said something I didn't feel was appropriate at the time. But you know what? It was exactly what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I hold near and dear. Um I think um, in order for me to categorize somebody as my best friend, my best friend has to be myself. I need to be that number one person as my best friend. Because at the end of the day, no one can treat me better than I treat myself. And that's where it starts. How do you know that you're being treated well if you never treated yourself good enough? Absolutely. And what happens when that person's not around? You know? Absolutely. Um, you're not going to have the same friend for forever. And, uh, you know, sometimes friendships start and they have a finite date of when they end. Maybe you both grow apart. Maybe you, you, you both go into different avenues of your lifestyles. Maybe you just don't want to be the person's friend anymore because they don't act or do things that you support. Um and, and I think the, the one friendship and one bond that I'm learning now a lot more than ever is learning how to be a, a good friend and love who I am, you know, taking the time to understand what, what I like. And, and it's a lot easier when I do that because when I see someone that I'm a good friend with or see someone that I can, you know, hang out with, I know where they fit and in which box they, they land in. Um, but yeah, no, friendships are going to be interesting moving forward into 2019 in general. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll, we'll see how things... Uh, pretty much go apart so um so let's talk about a little bit more of uh what's going on in the news have you heard the news have you watched the news have you been seeing what's all the twitter twitter chat about recently uh the r kelly thing um which i don't want to touch too much about because i have not watched it however i um unfortunately i'm in the 21st century and i'm a queen of social media yeah um so i've been on it and i think that i've I've been having a a difficult time uh, wrapping my head around it so i want to watch it because i've heard a lot of mixed things right i've heard about you know r kelly he's the man you know he needs to be thrown in jail. He's raped all these black women. Black babies matter. Let's do that. And then I've heard, oh, hurt people hurt people. And um, that one was a huge trigger for me. Why? Because hurt people hurt people, but hurt people, especially in the, the position that he's in, he should be well aware that there's resources available and people in his life should know that there's resources available to help him out. He knows that he was hurt. He was abused as a child. X, Y, and Z happened to him as a child. He should know, and the people, not him, but people around him should know, this man needs help. Clearly, what he's doing is not appropriate. He's touching and raping and doing things with these young women. Yeah. Let's stop him. I think that's, um, I think that hurt people hurt people is a very powerful phrase. But what do you do to someone who's surrounded by enablers? You exactly. Know, he's, he's in a position, like, 
uh, on a, like a normal person would have people around them who support what they do and who they are, but also can call them out if they see something that's not appropriate. But what do you do if this is the guy who's the king of the castle? There have been multiple reports about, you know, not confirmed. Our just president the, grabbing pussies? I no, mean, no, not <laughs> even that. Go there. You, know, you <laughs> want to um, add that to but, the... Um, but what I'm saying is that there have been multiple reports that, you know, people have been around him in his circle that have come out and said things that they, they think that they're frowned upon. One of the one of his um, most closest um, assistants actually came out with a book prior to I think it was called The Man Behind the Mask. The one one of the times when he was getting pretty much charged for I think it was about twenty four counts of child abuse or something like that. But she pretty much disclosed it, but she got pretty much paid off and nobody really believed her. So and a lot of the people in his circle were part of the act. They they were the ones that told him. So what do you do to someone who quote unquote is supposed to know that they've grew up with trauma and they have these resources but they just refuse to do those do to uh, to do so because they are the king of the castle and what they say goes exactly so so that's what i mean I, so so my, my thing is hurt people hurt people that's absolutely right mm -hmm. but there has to be some level of accountability you enabled him you allowed this man to do something and then years later when he finally got caught you want to say well i knew that was happening you're just as big as an asshole as him you're just as big as an asshole you're just as big of an That's asshole true. as he is. That's true. Because you're telling me that you're watching someone get hurt day in and day out, and because you're getting your little check, you're getting your, your little paycheck, because you want to be part of the crew, because you want to be part of that, as we're using now the terminology, clout, mm -hmm. you're going to allow this man to continue hurting someone, mm -hmm. then you're just, you're an asshole too. So what are we going to do about this? Because it just takes one person to speak up for a change to happen. Mm-hmm. So how many people in that, and in, again, I have to watch it, so I'm speaking off of what I've seen on social media. Yeah. How many of these people that were on, uh, you know, the show or, or part of his life, how many of them really, really, truly sat there and asked the girls, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? I got you. Mm -hmm. Nobody, right? No. Nobody. No. So why now? Yeah. Why now? I think it's, I think um, a lot of the people that came out, in the documentary who spoke up, I know that a lot of people were really, really focusing and supporting John Legend in regards to him saying something, being one of the celebrities to come forward and, um, you know, support the act, not just support, but to, to, to vouch how he felt and what he experienced is very powerful and very courageous of him. But he mentions in one of his tweets that he states that, you know, it wasn't something that was edgy or something that was, um, you know, he felt like he was crossing a borderline as a musician who have worked with R. Kelly, but he was just saying, I'm not going to support someone who, who's been mistreating women for almost his entire life, and I'm not going to sit there and pretend like it didn't like a lot of these other celebrities. They've asked people like Chappelle, they've asked people like Jay-Z, they've asked people who, a lot of people that have been working down the list that with, work with R. Kelly, um, and a lot of those people just turned around and didn't say anything or didn't want to promote or be a part of it, but... Um, and I get that. It's important to, to, to say something when you can. No, you and, and, and not even. You know what? I get it. Mm -hmm. stay, everybody wants to stay in their lane. Everybody wants to make their money. Everybody wants to do what they got to do to survive. Yeah. So I'm not telling anybody to jump, you know, jump in front of a moving car and to try to save somebody's life. I'm not saying that. Mm. But if somebody on the low would have come to these girls and been like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? You know, point them in the right direction to speak up for themselves. This probably wouldn't happen. That person could have remained anonymous. There's ways for you to communicate with somebody. Pass them a little business card, mm -hmm. you know, with, you know, victims, victims information or something like that. Here, you know, here's somebody to talk to, you know, without having to be known, without having to say, my name is so-and-so, and I believe that R. Cully did so, uh, you know, did this, this, and that. Yeah. No, you don't have to do that. Because a part of me makes me makes me think, like, why, n again, I I'm really big about why now. Yeah. R. Kelly did this years ago. And now it's all Decades. surfacing and all, all of this. I think is, it was in same, mid 2000s that they were. This is all going down pretty much. Same, same with the Bill Cosby thing. You know, don't get me. I'm, I'm not saying that these men shouldn't be condemned because sooner or later they're going to get theirs. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But why did it take so long? What are we doing as a society? What are we doing wrong that allow that that behavior like this? Yeah, is being well, that this upon. behavior is being brushed off. Yeah. You know, like even with the Me Too movement, you know how many people ended up coming up and talking about things that happened to them years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've progressed. We've come such a long way in mental health and, like, awareness and campaigning and all these things. But what the fuck are we doing as a society that we have to wait years later to re-traumatize re these people, essentially, because whether or not 
you realize that you're bringing up these things that maybe these girls weren't ready to, to disclose. Yeah. And you're bringing it up, and now it's a whole show, it's a tweet, it's on Instagram, it's everywhere. Yeah, with the internet now, yeah. everybody's the stage. Everyone has a platform to voice their opinion. Yeah. But not only that, but everyone can be put on stage on the pedestal to, to pretty much get get ripped down upon. Yeah, and even, and even us talking about R. Kelly now, we're glorifying him even if we don't realize it we're 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 causing so much you know aware we're bringing awareness to him but like has anybody actually really talked about the victims has anybody really sat there and said um you know we hope that these girls are okay that they have the right sources that they are given what they need especially now that this all surfaced yeah but no i haven't i have yet to see that i have seen oh r kelly's this r kelly's that but has anyone talked about these victims has anybody been like okay you know we don't know who these girls are, but we just want them to know we we're here for you. Mm-hmm. What scares me the most about it, and I like how you talk, you touched upon, you know, being able to say something when you can, and one person's voice can change everything. In, spe- in particular, when something like that's going down, and as a society, what are we really doing? Not you know, not allowing these or allowing these kind of behaviors to be brushed off. What scared me about it the most is um, you remember Leah, right? Mm-hmm. So Leah was about. 14 to 13 i believe when she first started getting into like the music business hardcore um but the her uncle or i think it was yeah her uncle was um r kelly's manager and basically you know through that he he connected with she connected with r kelly he took her under his wing and he pretty much started you know producing a lot of the music that she was making turns out um r kelly got married to Aaliyah and got her pregnant do you know how old she was when that happened? Like 15. She was 15. Now, that that in itself is controversial, but what's really scary is that the marriage happened in Chicago, and it was forged that she was 18 at the time. Now, her parents are declining and saying that that was something that they didn't know about, and they got an old, so on and so forth. Why, as a parent, are you allowing your 14 to 15-year-old daughter to go and be in the studio with this guy, to spend hours and hours with him alone, to, to fly around the world and not be on top of what's happening, you know? And I think that this kind of speaks volumes in regards to to not only just, you know, R. Kelly himself as a person, but, like, just us being more conscious about what's happening around us, you know? No, I think you're speaking, and, and I love hearing you speak like that, but I think you're speaking because of you've heard your social worker wife preach about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also see the flip side as why they, they trusted somebody, you know? They they wanted their daughter to be happy. They spoke, you know, they, they knew that they couldn't really be part of this lifestyle or at the time. You know, now we have, like, mom, mom, momagers, like, look at Kris Jenner. Like, she's on top of that with her girls. But, we, you know, back at that time, they, they she just trusted that her daughter was going to be in a good place, that they were going to, you but know. keep this in mind, too, not to cut you off, but to cut you off. When all this muse surfaced, right, I get it that back in the day, you know, things weren't brought to light as much as they are now. This woman also flew everywhere and was on every tour, every date, every single location with her daughter. She was part of the tour. But for some reason, things were brushed brushed off and no one knew what was happening. Because she made a choice. I feel like it was a, a, a kind of situation where it was just hush-hush because of the money. Yeah, and she made a choice. She made a choice, and she she made she probably made a choice with her daughter, because mm. um, you know nobody's explored that idea either. Yeah, she sat with her daughter. Her daughter was fifteen. You know what do we do about this? Do we continue? Do do you you you're talented? You're great. You want to be successful? We're, we're, is this a roadblock? You know, can you deal with it? Can we grow from this? Mm-hmm. Or do we like you know expose this man? Yeah, you know what I mean. And and who knows? Aaliyah probably said he was a bad man. I don't want to, you know. I don't. I, I, I just want to get past it. A lot of victims of sexual abuse do do that. Nobody wants to be like, yeah, he did that. He pointed the finger. Because it's more trauma for the victim than it actually is the perpetrator. That is true. So, Aaliyah wanted to keep it on the hush. That wasn't her goal. That was not her plan. He just was was there. He took advantage of the situation. He took advantage of a vulnerable girl who all she wanted to do was succeed. Mm-hmm. And as a mother who supported her daughter, we might not agree with how she supported her daughter. She did what she had to do to allow her daughter to continue. Yeah. Because it probably, at the time, would have done Aaliyah more damage than good to expose R. Kelly. That is true. That is true. And that's the scary part about it, you know, when having to make that decision. And, um... 
with people in particular in power that have so much influence that they do get away with a lot. And, you know, it, it it's crazy how that was happening. And then the whole Bill Cosby thing, which is another conversation about how everyone was just um, coming out and just telling the truth and how many voices came out. One, It all came from that one person. Um, I forgot the name of the woman that did it, but once she started speaking and, and started started uh, come bringing things to light, everyone kind of got behind her. And, you know, it takes a couple of people have with the same story to just to take them down. And I feel like that with social media and with having access to the Internet and being able to voice and, and say things anonymously or, you know, with your identity behind it, you know, we can definitely do a lot more social justice behind those kind of crazy people, you know? Yeah. It's insane. It really is. Um, so, I mean, we can move into our next conversation, which will be a little bit of a sensitive topic, but, I mean, why not? Um, tell me about relationships when it comes to your parents. Bruh. Yeah. That's a, dub- that's a deep one right there. Um, my parents? Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to be in specific to your parents. We can do parents in general. I mean, I, I got to talk about what I know. You yeah. know, in order for me to be a, a authentic and, and really, really speak, I got to talk about what I know. And what I know is my parents, my Dominican, wonderful, old school parents, que, you know, are, and I'm going to even, it's going to end up being Spanglish because that, that's just how it is at this point um, <laughs> when, when speaking about my parents. I think. Um, my parents are very old school. My parents are, are people that, you know, talking about trauma, about, um, in a sense, how ho- hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And might not even, you know, not, and I, it doesn't necessarily hold true with my parents, but I feel like they um, felt like their trauma and their hurt um, pretty much allowed them to survive. So they got they're going to give me what they got to give me and, and whatever. They grew up from their shit. I can too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents and I, th- I think my my brother again mentioned it in your other podcast. Um, pretty much had very distinct gender roles, you know. Yeah. My dad worked. He was never really present in the fa- and um because he was working, but he provided the monetary um means for us to do the things that we wanted to do. My family went on vacations. I had the latest sneakers. My siblings had the latest sneakers. We were the kids that everybody envied on the block because we not only owned the corner store, but we had all the latest gears. You know, we were always on point. I mm-hmm. can't tell you that I know what it is to be told no. I didn't grow up that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my mom was, was there. My mom picked me up, dropped me off from school, made me breakfast, packed my lunch, dropped me off at my bus stop. Sometimes didn't even drop me off to my bus stop because she didn't trust anybody so she would drive us directly to school kind of Love right there. <laughs> um was there at three o'clock waiting for me come home full-blown dinner was on the table like you know like that was my mom you know what i mean like cooked clean was there yeah um she provided the best the harlow's basic needs you know food shelter mm-hmm. um but was um unable to provide the emotional support that we needed you know what i mean like um my mom and my dad didn't grow up having much. My mom was an orphan. My mom's mom died when she was about three years old. My grandfather was in the military, so my mom house hopped, you know? Yeah. Um, she's, uh, And then my dad also came from a military background, was the youngest, was pretty much, by the time my grandparents had my dad, they were pretty much checked out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like emotionally. Like it was of course. Um, so my parents were very independent at a very young age, and that was pretty much the mindset that they had coming into having kids and I think that's why they meshed very well their childhoods were pretty much hand in hand so they kind of understood when each other's faults and their inability to express emotions yeah. was okay you know for my parents because they were thought about it like that yeah they, they, they both come from similar backgrounds they kind of know or not know what to expect of each other in regards to emotion you know support things of that nature things kind of I mean, the two pieces fit together. Yeah, and that tough love shit. You know what I mean? Like, my mm-hmm. parents were very, very um, militant. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm talking about military in DR. I'm not talking about military here. They were mm-hmm. very militant in DR. Like, yo, it is what it is, or get your head chopped off kind of thing. You know, like, um, and, and their households were very similar to that. You know, my um, though my grandmother, um, may she rest in peace, was a very loving individual. Um, she was also very old, mm-hmm. you know, um, and Why do you think she grew up differently? My grandma? Yeah. Um, my grandma was a very Catholic woman. You know, she, 
her God, her Bible, her little cross. You know, she mm. was very, very. God paved the way for everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and in that, um, even in that, she was very respectful. She honored her husband. You know, um, if you speak to my aunts, you, they argue that mom. You know, a Spanish phrase "era más mujer que madre," which is translation is more of a woman than a wife. Um, my grandma honored my grandfather, you know, when there was things with my, and I'm speaking from my aunts, you know, my dad never spoke like that about my grandma, but like if there was situations going on and my grandfather needed attention, my grandfather, she honored her husband, like in the Bible, Mm -hmm. honor, you know, honor your husband. When you get married, you become one. Yes. You know, she was about her husband. Her husband was her right to die. Um, to the point where in her deathbed, my grandfather and my grandma died holding hands. Like that was, they were committed like you know what i mean they were that's scary wow my grandma got um got dementia and the one thing that's the one person she remembered and cooked for twelve thousand times was my grandfather Mm -hmm. and she don't remember her childhood she don't remember her mom she remembered her husband you know it was like that that's the love you know yeah Uh, so back to my parents um so my parents kind of understood that lack of emotion you know I, i can't tell you that i ever ever heard my dad ever tell my mom he loved her but she just knew, like, it wasn't a question. she just knows. I mean, they're still together. She just knows. Like, it's just like. That's funny. I never hear that either. I never. So each yeah, other. You, you've been <laughs> in my life long enough to know. Like You don't think about that because it's kind of like we, and he, not we as a We're like desensitized. Couple, but we, we kind of understood that universal language where it wasn't spoken of, but it was known. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that my dad, you know, growing up, I remember telling my dad, like, oh, papi, tu me quiere. You got a roof over your head. Like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> like, duh, stupid. Like, you're not homeless. You no. got clothes. I love you. Like, that was my dad's love language. And I think that that's both of my parents' love language is, is monetary. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we had disagreements um, growing up, my parents and I, I, I think I've never to this day, I can't recall the time where my parents have said, I'm sorry. But I got, like, the latest phone after a huge argument. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That was just how my parents functioned. Yeah. You know, and for a very long time, it worked for me. But as I grew older, I realized that that wasn't my love language. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an English major. I, I, you know, my word, I found my love in writing. And I found my love in words. So I, I want to talk about it. I mean, you more than anybody know. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Let's, you know, let, Communicate. Let, let's, let's write about it. You want to you wanna be angry at me? I'll shoot you a text. But we got to talk about it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So when I developed that voice, um, when I, I developed my love for word, my relationship with my parents became estranged. They became very difficult. How do you talk to somebody who doesn't know how doesn't know words mm. you know it like speak your language it doesn't you know we, we we to this day do not speak the same language but i have managed to live and survive with them yeah and i love my parents and again i think that it's an unspoken rule they love me you know like i, I don't i never felt like i wasn't loved i just always felt empty you know what i mean they were both present but they weren't present emotionally they were never really provided that emotional support that we needed um, and, I, and I say we because I listened to my brother um, in your previous uh, broadcast talk about my parents. I would pretty much describe them the same way. Um, so let me ask you this. So um, there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, I'll just focus on the, con- <laughs> on the concept. That's a whole podcast in yeah, itself. We, we really should have done that. Um, but, you know, in regards to your relationship with your parents, and I get how you came up, you know, started growing up and understanding a different type of language when it came to showing your love. And, and, and how the relationship did get estranged. Um, what, what kind of advice would you give to someone, let's say, for instance, that was having a hard time growing past the phase of, you know, adapting a new way of speaking to their parents in regards to what they want? Like, for example, like, you're big into communication and your parents are big on giving monetary things. So a lot of people get caught up on the concept that they have to go through that trauma or kind of force their parents or significant other or a person in their life to change and adapt to what they have as opposed to someone like yourself who's grown past it and understood that, you know, love them for who they are, not for what they aren't. What's your end game? Hmm. I think that, that that question in itself, and oh, and referring to a book, um, it didn't start with you. Um, that book I read that not too long ago, and it hit it's a home. Great book. It hit home for what's me. What's the art? What's the um? But I'm, Mar- I'm horrible at, at like at authors. I'll Mark leave a link something. in the description. It's um, fine. It's fine. It didn't start with you, and I think in that book that you know that book spoke volumes to me. I sat in my um, in, in at home, and I wanted to like 
send it to like all my siblings and then like all my family members and like oh my god i want to highlight it let's talk about it let's have a a book club meeting about it you know like that book um, about a lot of things that are important because um unfortunately i don't have a very um tight relationship with my my first siblings um i have a brother and a sister my older brother and sister and because they could not deal they their boundaries were big were huge and they could not deal with the relationship that they had with my brother my mom and my dad and i don't blame them for it i completely understand um because i've caught i've i've found myself in that predicament with my parents um so the my question is what's your end game what what do you what do you want your life to look like and how do you get there um and in the book you know i'm, I'm paraphrasing i'm not quoting word for word but he essentially says parenting doesn't come with a manual you know what mm-hmm. i mean I, I mean and now as a parent i realize that more than ever mm-hmm. your parents are inevitably going to make a mistake um what you choose to do with that mistake is what determines whether or not you have a relationship with your parents and i think that i'm at the point in my life where my relationship with my parent is a relationship because i want it to be a relationship not because i'm expecting them to change not because i'm expecting to for them to understand that a lot of things that they did were not okay Mm-hmm. because I think that my parents are 60-something years old and they still don't get it, still hasn't clicked in their head um, because they don't have any more room for growth, but I do. Yes. Um, and in growing, I know that I, I love my parents and, and that they mean a lot to me and that um, I can love them and still have boundaries. So when my parents become too much, I can easily just you know stop talking to them or give myself a day or two to refresh, restart, and Recharge, reset yeah. um, you know, my relationship with them. And, and I think that in learning that boundary, I feel like I have grown to have a better relationship with them um my mother in particular my mother grinds my gears my mother is no really truly made me because she knows how to trigger me no one in this world knows you better than can rock does. me like my mother yeah. you know um but because if i can handle my mother i can handle anybody else so i gotta thank her for that you yeah. know what i mean i can i gotta thank her for being that trigger for me um, she raised a tough cookie. Yeah, um, you know, and a lot of the things, you know, though though I may not disagree with I'm though I may disagree with her methods and not use it with our son, because uh, a lot of the things that my parents, um, a lot of the ways that my parents lacked, in, a lot of the lack of communication that there is between my parents, um, and my siblings, um, I don't ever want to have that with my son or ever want to teach that that generational trauma that that carries on in my family. I don't want that for myself um so with that i took what they did and what they didn't do and i maximized it and i'm making it work for me and i'm sure that our child i mean our son's going to have the same kind of experience there are going to be things that we do as a couple or as a family that he doesn't support necessarily and may have to make that slight change into yeah. his kids but i mean th- that and i think that, that for us thing is very very important i uh, think for us we know how to say sorry you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I, and that was something that I learned. I mean, it's really hard. Like, uh, yeah, no. the, my, something that you ooh. hate, something that you hate, ooh. hate that I say now that I adapted that I love mentioning is, I'm not a victim of your trauma. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I want to punch you in your, of your trauma face for it. Be but something it, so simple like you didn't pick up your clothes. You got mad because your mom used to throw your clothes on the ground, and when you grew up, and now you're mad that I'm doing it. But I'm not a victim of your trauma. <laughs> it's like you need to make a change. Yeah, <laughs> and and it pisses me off. Oh God, it makes me so angry. But it, it but it's allowed me to catch myself. You know, sometimes I get oh really emotional, and then you know, and I feel like I, I'm upset. I'm like oh you know I want things to work. I want to create this this picture of my life to fill a void um that i have you know Mm um not realizing that you know what i'm i'm doing my best i'm I'm doing the best with our son i want to communicate with him as much as possible i'm learning how to say i'm sorry i'm learning to take his lead because you know i grew up in a very dominican household you know what i mean like (laughs) and translation you don't pay bills you don't have stress the fuck are you stressing for what are you depressed depressed about what i give you everything you know why are you upset um (laughs) you know and i I joke around with my father to this day and you know my profession is mental health you know i i I deal with trauma and emotions every day and i told my dad if everybody had the mentality that he had i would be broke you know (laughs) yeah i um so it's very interesting you know and and it's funny my dad's a very educated man he reads a lot of books he's very very in tune but has not been able to be in tuned enough with his emotions there's so much trauma and and hurt in his personal life that he's never really fully gotten there you know he may logically fit you know 
some verses and, and, and tell you things that, that, you know, may touch home, but he's never really been able to put things into practice. Um, and someone I'd love to have on this podcast. Yeah, he he break him down. He's enlightened. Him. I got to get you know my siblings and I, my older brother and my 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 younger brother and myself, um, and and even my sister. You know, but us three, I feel like in a podcast would be very interesting. Our, our way of thinking is very renowned. You know, and um, I think that we got to think that we got to give that credit where credits due. And it's my dad. My dad is always my dad is a man. He will read a book in, in two hours and tell you exactly what happened. You know, that's a talent. And he can, there's not been a topic that I have encountered in my life that I cannot talk to my dad about. I think he's hungry for knowledge, and that's something that he's passed on to you and your brother. You know, for you, it would be more or less the textbook, the literature, the, the ear to the ground, the people. And for your brother, it'd be technology. You know, you guys have both inherited that that want that thirst for knowledge and when you get your eyes on something that you're interested in or something that questions or or you know sparks your your interest it's like setting a wild horse to run you know i mean and even my older brother you, you haven't really gotten the opportunity to meet and speak to him because again unfortunately our relationship is estranged but he and i are very think very much alike i mean um i, I remember the little conversations that he and i have had i've always been intrigued by his brain because it's very similar to mine you know and mind you we're about 10 years different in age difference but mm -hmm. we, we pretty much can hold a conversation um and articulate things very well but I feel like he and I, um, and I'm speaking based on simply my conversations with him, we, we, we struggle with the same thing, you know. Um, our, we grew up with a dad who felt, like, and a mom, you know. My, I mean, we have a separate, different mothers, but like my mom, um, I speak for my mom, where it was like very militant, you know. I, I'm an adult, you listen to what I say, you got to do this with no explanation, you know. And I am a very a person who lives in the why. I need to know why things happen. I need to know what's the outcome. I need to know who, what, where, and why um, for me to do things. Mm -hmm. So growing up in a household where it was like, you got to do this just because I said, I struggled with that. And I still struggle with that, with authority. And I see, I noticed it, I noticed it a lot um, in, in jobs, you know, when I um, was told if I don't, I, I was at a point in my life where I felt, if I felt like you were stupid, I couldn't listen to you. As much as I knew that I needed to listen to you to get my job done, I felt like you were you're stupid. Like, why am I going to listen to somebody who I feel is stupid? I had to have some level of respect for my my employers or my, my bosses in order for me to do what, to work effectively. Yeah. Um, and it took a lot of soul searching and it took a lot of digging um, within myself to realize that that came from the not having that in my household. You know what I mean? Like, who the fuck are you to be telling me what to do? You know what I mean? Not that I thought that I was smarter than anyone, but I had to develop that connection in order for me to work. And that's why I feel like in my field, I'm excelling because my field is all about connection, mm -hmm. where I was able to put two and two together. I knew that I had to connect with somebody. I had to meet them where they were at in order for me to function. But rather these, you know, jobs where I was discovering myself and I was told, you got to do this, you got to flip this, you got to do that, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't. And, and, I, and I noticed it in my, my younger brother, going back to him, where he wants to be an entrepreneur. And why? Why is that? Because he doesn't do well with direction. And that's all, again, that's all taught. That was all taught. And I can assure you that if I have a conversation with my older brother, I'm pretty sure that that's his issue as well. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing to, to be able to come down to someone's level. Um, I was reading, or I am still reading um, the book, The Shack, and in one scene, there's this guy um, who, his name is Mac, and he meets, um, he has a big tragedy in his life, and he ends up, um, his not to spoil too too much, but he ends up having a tragedy with one of his kids. His kids dies, ends up being very very stubborn through his life, and you know becomes very upset, and ends up you know getting a letter in his mail about meeting someone at the same shack where his kid died, and and end up being um he met God and God came in three different forms you know, but um and one of the forms um. Um, came to, to him and they spoke and he, he said, how do I speak to someone who, who knows so much? It's, it's so grand. You know, how do I hold the conversation with you? How am I supposed to believe, you know, and, and have, you know, believe that you're all knowing and all good, you know, and, and, and that same, that time God mentioned that, you know, I already know everything you're going to say and I already know, you know, all that is and where this conversation is going to go. But I don't, you know, I humble myself to not, to not make you feel that, you know, um, I come down and I understand that, you know, to level with you, to speak to you, I have to pretend as if I didn't know all of that, even though I do, 
And I think having that, that level of empathy in, in general when you're speaking or leading or becoming anything in your life is, is, is the only way you're going to get people to follow you. You know, uh, uh, Your boss is going to boss you around, but the person who you want to be behind is a leader and someone who, who, who can not only show you that they're willing to give you direction, but they can sit down and tell you why. And, and I think it's great that you've developed that very, very well because your whole job is about leading people like day in and day out. Yeah, and I think that, that that's powerful, but it was funny how I was, you know, again, it, a lot, I did a lot of healing. I did a lot of growing these past year or two, mm-hmm. um, and I was able to make that connection, and when I did that, I was able to be like, oh, shit, you know, like, and and again, and I, and I say this not to blame my parents because, like I said, they don't have a manual. They, no. You know, I, I didn't come into this There's world, no and they like, but um, they didn't check in, and I think that I, me, I, I check in, you know what I mean? I check in with myself, and I think that that has made me an effective parent. You it's know. helped. It's helped me, and I and I saw how you had that growth, and and how you 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 took ownership of the relationship. You didn't become a victim of it, but you took ownership of it. In regards to a lot of my relationships with a couple of people in my family, you know, um, I've I've learned that you know having an understanding of what your end game is and what you expect or want out of the relationship will help you pick the 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 roses out of the garden you know who are going to be the people that you want to surround yourself with who are the people that you want to be around with and willing to make the sacrifice with what relationships that are shitty you know you're, you're willing to to either make small changes to or accept them for what they are and and categorize them as you should just like you would with your friends so and I think you know what, and 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 I have a relationship with my parents right now again because my end game was for them to meet my son and 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 spend time with my son and, and that's like, but I can I also feel like I um can understand the need to close a chapter in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love my older siblings, but we're at a place where they're not ready and um and or I so I think my interpretation of our relationship is that they're not ready to speak to me mm-hmm. for me. They're ready. They still see me through. They still see me through the eyes of my parents. They still think that I am very much like my parents. Um, they have a difficult time differentiating the two. Though I lived with my parents, that does not mean that I am them. Yeah. Um, and we're at the point in our lives where we have respectfully chosen, well, they have respectfully chosen to close that door. And I respect them enough to say, okay, that's cool. I love you, and I, and I respect loving you from afar. I disagree with it. I feel like we can move forward if you're able to have a relationship with me that does not include my parents a men but it doesn't seem to have worked that way yeah um and i think that that's and i say that in saying that i feel like we can have a relationship with people and still set boundaries i love my siblings they're my siblings they're my you know they're my family but i love them enough to know where that it's okay for us not to speak yeah and it, and i think it's important to set boundaries and not be afraid to if you really care about the relationship you know you don't have to chop it off and completely be done with it. You know, I've heard of some people that even silence the partner or person that they don't want to be around anymore because of a super simple fight. But a simple fight could have been avoided if you would have had that boundary. You know, if you would have set that expectation or not even an expectation, but set that um set set that uh, restriction in regards to what you accept and what you don't, and um are willing to to let the other person either make the change or adapt to it, or you just let the relationship be what it should be whether you want to be around there or not. Yeah, and, and I think that a lot of the relationships that are like, you, I don't want to talk to you anymore, stuff like that, that's because your ego was hurt. Mm-hmm. You're at a point in your life where you haven't had enough emotional growth to understand that your ego plays a large part in how you react to people. Yeah, I've learned how to silence my ego big time and, and eat a lot of shit, you know? I, I've, 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 I've had to completely control my ego and... um downsize it all the way but it sounds like our little guy is waking up now so we're gonna have to cut this short any last words oh we're gonna continue this conversation later Alrighty then well this has uh been an awesome awesome episode um guys thank you so much for tuning in please like comment and subscribe if you have us on youtube and if not if you're listening to this on itunes and or soundcloud be sure to subscribe and tune in to our next episode Um, Mama, thank you so much for joining the podcast, and I will 